Hello, everyone. Welcome to the check-in. Welcome, Sonia. Hey, hey, hey. Another morning, another recording. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's a nice yep. little rhyme. Did you just make that up, or yep. were you thinking about that one for a while and it just no? Came it out just right literally now? came out right there in this moment. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty crazy like that. I just yeah. make just up words. stuff. Yeah, it's one of my one of my things. I'm sure a song could come off of that. Yeah, I'm sure. I sure it could. You should work on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I should. Um, it's really nice out in Ottawa hmm. this week. Super hot. Um, beautiful. What is super hot to you? Uh, okay, let's not say super hot. The humidity hasn't hit yet, so it's not like, eh, but it's 25 to 27 this week. What is that? You're going to make know. me look it up on Probably, I'm Google guessing converting. low 80s. I'm guessing low 80s. Oh, nice. Uh, but I'm guessing. I don't know. But yeah, it's nice. So nice. it's nice to have some warmer weather. Had coffee outside this morning. So that's a nice thing mm-hmm. in COVID. So we're staying, I don't know what your update is on COVID, but in Ontario, we are staying with no more people than five in terms of gatherings. Mm-hmm. Closed our borders. Trump says, oh, we can open them whenever we want. We're like, no, we closed them. Like, I don't know why he says that shit. I don't listen uh, to him anymore, so I can't comment. Oh, it's just so annoying. I don't listen to him, until, but my kids find it entertaining, so they tell me. Mm-hmm. So it's like he makes up his own rules. You think you can't? No, like, he, yeah. Ugh. Anyway, go on. So I'll get border, stuck here. So borders are closed, and we're not changing much this month. But I can golf. It's a big deal. Mm. Like a really big deal. Yeah. What are the rules on that? Um, social dis social distance distancing on a golf course is really easy. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm, not hard. Mm-hmm. A lot of space. Um, and you just don't touch the pin. Yeah. Okay. Like it's super. Like it's really easy. Like you're not you're not playing. You're not playing with. Other, <laughs> it's really awkward. And so you're not playing with other one's balls. But that's an awkward thing mm-hmm. to say on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um. But there you go. You said it. You even thought about how awkward it was. Set I it thought up, about awkward, awkward and then said it because then, then you go like, if I don't say it. it. And here we are right. focusing on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like it's not like tennis where you're like you have your own and you <laughs> use your own. So anyways, awkward right there. But yeah, okay. golf. Hey, how are you? I'm pretty good. I am as what happens in the morning podcasting. I'm a little sleepy. I'm still kind of, yeah, I wake it up. Right. Right. But yeah. um, Oregon, Oregon is opening up their outdoor spaces this weekend. So, um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how, see how, how everyone responds to that. Goes. And certain counties have um, met the criteria um, to reopen. So there are counties in Oregon that are already opened huh. up, so to nice. speak. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I haven't, honestly, just because everything is so contextual right now, since we are, you know, sheltering in place, I haven't paid much attention to what's happening outside of my own county. Right, right. Um, and so we're still, 
um, there was a little bit of a kerfuffle. Is that a word? <laughs> a kerfuffle a, is a word. Yeah, Not one used of often a, anymore. Right. But, yeah, That's why I always thought I'd bring it back. There was a little bit of a thing here um, with the Oregon Supreme Court laws that had established how long one could actually shut something down and it had exceeded that. And so then anyway, hmm. a little, a little fight happened at the Oregon Supreme Court. So things were actually technically reopened for a period of time and then shut down again. Spicy. So, yeah. Yeah. That seems to be kind of everywhere is, uh, yeah, the disagreements at the different levels of, gov- of government. Yeah. We yeah. tend to work together a little more here. I'm just <laughs> I don't even know that. I just wanted to put a dig in. Um, anyway, so not to focus on that, how uh, how are you doing? Is what are you noticing? Okay. Yeah, this is a question. What are you uh, noticing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, so yesterday I had um, uh, hosted a really great conversation. It was um, with my friend Trixie and Celine, both of them um, uh, uh, with Asian ethnicity. One, uh, let me think, Taiwanese, Canadian, and the other, um, diaspora, Chinese. And uh, both of them living in Vancouver, British Columbia. Right. So yes. I, ha- I hosted a conversation with them for Parish Collective Live. And um, we were just kind of talking about um, the increase of anti-Asian racism that has, um, you know, and, and I wonder, it's kind of like all... I think it may be an increase in activity. The right. racism has been there. Um, and maybe it was like a seed or a small spark or just needed something to ignite it, reignite it. And anti-Asian sentiment has been in our North American context for a very long time. That is nothing new if we look at our history. For sure. Um, but uh, because of COVID-19... Um, and kind of the, at least the initial kind of emphasis of it being from Wuhan, China, and, um, and then in, in the state's rhetoric um, around what we're even naming the, the, the what we're naming COVID-19, so um, calling it the Wuhan virus or Chinese virus, right? right? Yeah, there's been um, so many my comments. Language, it's why yep. language matters. Um, and the ways in which racism is embedded in language and how we talk about things. Um, uh, anyway, so I had a hosted a conversation with them for Parish Collective, um, and it was just, I, I thought it was a, hopefully it was a good conversation. It's so, it's hard for me to know when I'm in the middle of it, but, um, but Trixie was able to share her story of how she was, um, assaulted, um, by a young white man while she was out. So he said he, um, verbally assaulted her and then spit on her. Um, yes. And so she was able. She was sharing her that story and the impact and yeah, what that has been for her. And 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 then Celine also lives in her neighborhood. And anyway, it was a it was a I think a, a, a good conversation. What I didn't get to because we were talking about the personal story, and and we did draw out how the systemic racism is there and the ways that it is a part of this. How history systemic um, things are, are lead you know, create an atmosphere and environment for someone to hold those attitudes and then to act on them. Um, but Trixie had actually sent me an article from um, uh, CTV, 
news. Yes. Yep. And um, about anti-Asian racism on the rise. And it said um, this article um, says that a new poll has found that acts of racism related to COVID-19 against people of Asian um, is spreading in Canada's largest cities. So they did a poll um, in Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. And one of the questions, for example, was, uh, does it, one of the one of the questions discovered that fourteen percent of those who responded in those three cities either believed that all Chinese or Asian people carried the virus or were uncertain about whether it did. Right. Fourteen percent. Yeah. And so much ignorance. The next <clears throat> one, uh, they also found that one out of five do not think that it's safe to sit next to an Asian or Chinese person. Wow. Yeah, what I find interesting with that is, and I think Trixie brought it up. Actually, she did bring it up in the, um, on the, what's, what's it called? It's, it's not a webinar. What's the thing you do? I don't know. I just say on Parish Collective Live. Mm-hmm. It's like a live conversation, but there's got to be a name for that. Anyways. Um, yeah, what, I've, what she said was, in Canada, we think we're liberal, progressive, um, peacekeeping like you look at all the ways in which we would define ourselves and we love scapegoating racism as somewhere else but when you kind of bunker down into place you realize no no we're 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 racist and we struggle with white supremacy um as any other place does so yeah it's it's interesting to hear trixie's experience hear what you're saying right now in terms of the ctv article the stats being presented and most Canadians would probably sit back and go, really? That happens here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's just yeah, this ignorance what around what's going on within our, our And current. I wonder if most Canadians, meaning most, would it be most? Most white Euro? Canadians. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay. For yeah. sure. And, and what I thought was interesting, um, just given it's so different from my context, and it's really easy to notice, like when I went up to Vancouver, because um, Portland has seven percent of the population is a- of Asian, right? Ethnicity. You in um, Vancouver, British Columbia, that po- that population is about forty-seven percent versus forty-six percent Euro Canadian, Western European Canadian. So it doesn't racism is not depending on the percentage of a population, and no. it is not inherently. Right. Um, uh, anti-racist anti-racist sentiment does not naturally grow just because you because of a population shift there actually needs to be intention and this is where um i think parish collective and poc among parish collective would say there needs to be intention and actually get knowing neighbor and and actually engaging with um the language would be right getting into your living into your neighborhood versus living above place and then, right. even, and then with that, um, an intention around um, um, learning, uh, not just learning, because I think that's also a very white um, thing to say, but, um, uh, it, it, you know, if I'm ta- from a place of faith, if I'm loving neighbor and my neighbor's other, that still counts. Like, it's still included. Right. I don't get to love love neighbor that's only affinity. So I think there just needs to be some intention around yeah, I, I would say I personally have changed the most on these views in living in Vancouver for six years in a predominantly Asian neighborhood mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. 
I got to work through who the other was mm -hmm. and just tons of stories where I had assumptions. I had built a, um, uh, I'd built a caricature of what a person was. And then as we really kind of shifted in how we viewed um, relationship to more place-based and began to love the neighbors right around us, every kind of caricature was just blown out of the yeah. water. Yeah. And um, yeah, how much I changed my views based on being curious about those who were my neighbor. And it was interesting because we, like, we came from Calgary, which is very white, um, to Vancouver. And mm -hmm. in my daughter's class, she was the only, uh, the only um, white kid in her class. Mm -hmm. So just these massive, like, massive shifts and going, mm -hmm. okay, wow, what does that mean? And then viewing, coming from Calgary, which I would say is, um, uh, yeah, white but also more racist than any other place I've seen in the Canadian context. Um, and in living there, it's, yeah, it's even going back. Just there's a, a mindset mm -hmm. of, of, of othering. Um, so, yeah, it's just interesting kind of going and discovering what difference is and how do we do that well. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is, I've, I've definitely in many conversations about lots of different things, I think, um, one thing that continues to resonate, stick out for me is, um, um, is, is our exposure. So we can hold on sure. to those. And I guess even after exposure, if we are, and we're probably given personality type, given how deep those fears or previous experiences, we can continue to hold on to those particular views that we have or biases. But mm. exposure has this opportunity to shift us. And to yes, get yes. rid of the stereotypes, to get rid of those things that can actually, that are actually very damaging. I was just even recognizing the ways that stereotypes um, in my early childhood affected me and how I saw myself. Um, and it, that is, you know, if you want to save someone the hard work later on, let's just, <laughs> if we can get to right. um, seeing and loving one another, that would be For sure. Great. Whoa. It's amazing. Yeah. What are you noticing? What are you seeing? Yeah, really similar. Um, was on a, uh, had a conference um, that got canceled. We were actually supposed to be there uh, on faith and finance. And how, how do we distrib uh, distribute wealth? Um, and what does that look like uh, morally? So anyways, um, there's a guy who, I, I'm actually reading his book, which is just fantastic. But his name is Edgar Villanova. Villanueva, and he is indigenous, um, lives in Brooklyn, New York, and just brilliant in terms of, of his perspective and views. He comes from indigenous kind of uh, spirituality and, and brings that perspective into, into wealth. But he, he said something that was just really profound. I've been thinking on a lot. And he said the problem is that the problems that we face, we can kind of list off as hyper-individualism or capitalism or um, not living into place or like whatever we want to identify as the ism or the pro or the problem. And he said, none of those are the issue. He said, it's anth anthropological. And then began to unpack that we just don't value humanity. Um, that we don't see that every person has sacred worth. And he said, we still build systems of hierarchy where they're, 
are people who are better than others. And um, so it was just interesting how our, even though we may say we value humanity, our practices demonstrate a hierarchy. And so just been sitting in that and going, yeah, that's true. I see that whether it's, whether it's religion, whether it's our policies, our systems of government, our, in every place that I could look at, there's a hierarchy. So we can say we value all of humanity. Do we see that in our healthcare system? Do we see that in education? Do we see that in religion? No. So at the end of the day, our problem, and I, I, I agree with them, is anthropological. We don't value human life. Uh, and he said, we have got to wrestle with that because no system is going to change until we value human life and see every human as sacred. And then he talked about in indigenous um, spirituality, this circle of life, that I don't, I view you as my relative. So every human I meet, you're my relative. And he said, how, how different would it be to kind of, um, when we meet someone or in our neighborhood or anyone who we would appear or perceive as different than us. What if our starting point was I'm related to you? Uh, how beautiful could that be? What curiosity could emerge from that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and I think that, that those principles are, those principles I think are found in, in a lot of um, ideas of how we ought to be together, right? Because we have language about the body, brothers and sisters, sort of a familial yeah, yeah. language. Um, loving neighbor as yourself. I mean, these are all, uh, these things are, these ideas, those kinds of visions are out there. And yes. I think what happens is, because, yeah, at institution, we begin to serve the institution. So I just think of when um, the biblical story of Jesus with the disciples and they break the Sabbath laws and, you know, they're being accused of, doing that and how wrong it was to eat this, you know, get this grain on the Sabbath and eat it. You labored, you broke the law kind of thing is how the lawmakers were upset about it. The people, religious people holding the standard, holding up. And what they're, and what Jesus says is like, you're trying to maintain this institution. The Sabbath was not, you know, like we were not right. created for Sabbath. Sabbath was created for us. And there's this, the same idea we create as humans, we create systems, we create institutions for our health, for our benefit. And then we start serving and maintaining those systems that actually end up hurting people. And then we're like, well, yes. the system says, the institution says, the law says, you know, and so right. we're putting that above people. Yep. And if we could, exactly, if we could... Um, um, even a simple practice like saying, you know, just adopting, like, I would like to do no harm. If we adopted that into the ways right. in which we engage with systems and establishment and institutions and say, well, uh, right, right here, we are doing some harm. I think we need to do something instead of, you know, well, the law says, you know. Yeah, for sure. I think what's, what's so good in, um, in just this whole thing on kind of the colonizing virus that affects us all and that people are at the core of their identity, core of who they are, are hungry for relationship. And there's this desire, I think, I believe at the core, again, of who we are to move outside of dualism that says um, there's us's and them's that um, we live in this dualistic world that kind of categorizes. 
And I, th- I believe that people want to move outside of that into this mutuality. And mutuality has come up a lot for me as I'm listening um, to people talk where they don't want an exchange. They don't just want, you give me this. And then, and then I've got something and I go and do, you know. They want this, this mutual um, connection where there's something that I'm getting from you and you from me. And this mutual exchange, I think, is the way that the world needs to move to. Um, where we're existing together and we're healing together and we're growing together and we're learning together. And it's not me to you. Um, and if you look at, you know, in a conversation this week with someone who is looking at food banks and how the COVID moment is is highlighting the ineffectiveness of that system, um, it's a very broken system. And it's not mutuality. It doesn't empower. It's it's coming and getting and leaving. And um, there's some different models in our city that are emerging. They're just doing so well where they're creating that empowerment and that mutuality. We don't want these these spaces where we're not given, um, we're not seen as human, where our humanity is somehow diminished. So, yeah, I, I want us to get back to valuing humanity and seeing our organizations and the systems and the policies that we create reflect um, the desire to love. Good thoughts, Dave. Little riff. We went, yeah, 21, wow. Yeah, let's shut this down. Shut her down, Sonia. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you next time on The Check-In.